Incoming transmission from the time scanner. of the space-time continuum, broadcasting to you from Time Crystal Omega at the heat death of the universe. Here is your host, the Time Scanner. And this, 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 this is the infinite now. <laughs> Welcome, listeners. This is The Infinite Now. Each broadcast, I bring you a different story from elsewhere in the endless expanse of time and space. Today, I have an interview I did with astrozoologist Vega Bancroft. Thanks for being on the show, Vega. What is it that we're listening to? This is a recording I did when I was living on the back of an Alpha Centaurian space whale. What you're hearing now is a space whale funeral procession. When one dies, the other in the pack guide the body to the center of the nearest galaxy and let their body be taken by a supermassive black hole. You can hear them in harmony, singing farewell to their loved one one last time. Wow. And this was recorded in the jungles of New Europa. Careful, the screech of the siren vines is an auditory hypnotoxin. Vega has spent thousands of years studying wildlife in the universe. She lived alone on the hostile jungle planet Fangaroon, studying the thousand-toothed hydra. She was there by herself for over three human lifetimes, armed with nothing but a machete and her wits. And a really fantastic pair of knee-high magnetic eel-hide boots, iridescent in subspectral hues. They are really great boots. Well, yeah, they. I killed this eel myself. You killed the actually, eel yourself? Yeah. And she killed the eel they're made from. Yeah, with a machete. That's, that's all I had. I was actually completely nude on this planet, and I figured I really needed a pair of boots. So I took the machete that I brought, and I killed this eel, and then, you know, I had the boots made for me. Yeah. With three-inch heels, because why not? Those heels look dangerous. They could pierce the plasteel skull of a charging neo-rhino. And have, actually, done that exact thing. Vega lived on the sub-arctic prison planet of Sorrow 397b, studying the so-called Great Dormant Beast, the deep hibernating supermassive space manatee that's been asleep for over four billion years and which the whole planet was formed around. 
She was there when the great dormant beast awoke, and she survived when the planet burst apart. She floated on a shard of frozen tundra, essentially just a sliver of icy eggshell adrift in the cosmos for the better part of a century before being discovered by the infamous Death Piercers, the most violent band of star pirates in the known universe. After defeating their leader in hand-to-hand -hand combat, Vega became the captain of their murderous caravan and began teaching them botany. Vega and the Death Piercers are responsible for discovering thousands of new botanical cures for diseases, including the Lazarus root, which, as you know, has cured death itself. I spoke with Vega over video. That means that the interior facets of my time crystal illuminated into 360 degrees of video screens of the room Vega was in so that I could see everything that she could see. Vega is on Space Observatory Kipling 7, just inside the Ferris asteroid belt surrounding Zeta Reticuli D, and she's pointing out at the comet through the transparent aluminum walls. She has a green laser pointer, and she points to different features on the comet. The smart windows zoom to wherever she points. Can you describe what we're looking at now? I've zoomed in on this female comet so that we can get a better look. She's a beauty, right? Her orbit around the star probably takes about 300 years to come full circle. She's mostly made of frozen gases and space dust, most likely frozen carbon dioxide with interplanetary particles of diamond and graphite, based on the blue leopard-like spots along her surface. She's going to give birth to a gorgeous litter. Vega's past as a space pirate is mostly behind her. These days, she's living a quieter life as a comet breeder. They're frozen because of the near-absolute zero temperature of outer space, but that doesn't stop them from having a sex life. Bow chicka wow wow! Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Comets have a mating season, just like everything else does. On planets, the seasons are determined by the body's proximity and angle to the star they orbit. And the same is true of comets, even though they are independent of any planet. They have their own orbit, so comets are their own seasons. Comet mating season is in the summertime, or when their elliptical orbit brings them closest to the sun. This is when the female presents her tail. The female comet tail's plumage is not unlike that of a male peacock's tail. Its purpose is to attract the opposite sex. Notice how the solar radiation lets the comet know it is summertime and time to mate. The comet unfurls its plumage of vapor from its body and lets it flap in the solar winds. Potential mates find this irresistible. The glitter in the starlight, the gentle spray of ice crystals waving like feathers on the galactic breeze. The longer the tail the comet has, the more attractive it is to male comets. 
through billions of years of sexual selection, comets have been evolving to have longer and longer tails. Surrounding Vega's observation station, there were millions, maybe even billions, of comets illuminating everything in a panorama of sparkling phosphorescent streaks, each comet tail snaking like a long dragon away from the sun. There were so many of them that I was hard-pressed to find any blackness of space not lit up by a comet tail. This is really amazing, Vega. Surrounding Earth's sun, where I'm from, we only had a handful of comets. Not much comet breeding in Earth's solar system. Halley's Comet in your hometown solar system is the most well-known, and she's a much older comet than the newer breeds we have here. Thus, Halley's tail is much shorter than the ones surrounding Zeta Reticuli. Earthbound comet watchers would have hardly seen Halley's tail at all during mating season. Why are there so many of them here? <laughs> because I'm breeding them here, silly. They tell me I'm the universe's foremost expert on comet breeding. The problem with comet mating in the wild is that male comets, much smaller and without plumage, are very rare. And even where they do exist, they have to wait for the star's gravity to eventually bump them together so they can begin the mating ritual. The time between a male first seeing a female present its tail and when he finally catches up to her to engage in comet intercourse can be millions of years. I like the chase of a budding romance as much as any gal. But a million years is maybe a bit too long. So, I speed things up. I have my pirates on missions in the most remote corners of the galaxy, rounding up male comets. My pirates. The holds of the Death Piercer ships used to hold gold, jewels, illicit contraband, and hostages for ransom. But now they just carry male comets. I'm proud of that. They bring them to me, and we use the ion cannons to blast them like cannonballs up against the female comets. Blast them like cannonballs! At this point, Vega is motioning at the smart windows of the observation station, and the windows zoom in on a ship closing in on a comet, tangled in its shimmering tail. We blast the comet with some spin just below the tail so we can send them spiraling into each other's microgravity. If we were to make a time-lapse of this, we would see the male and female comets in a million-year dance. The two bodies circle each other and become entwined with each other, eventually becoming frozen together as the male body adheres to the ice of the larger female. Eventually, the new larger body they form will shatter apart into hundreds of smaller comets. The original male and female no longer exist, but have sacrificed themselves to become a whole litter of infant comets. In time, the litter of baby comets will grow, accumulating more ice in deep space, until one day, the females will be large enough to display their own tails when they near the solar radiation of Zeta Reticuli. And the process starts all over again. Would you mind if I speed up time so that we can see this in action? By all means. 
Yeah. Wow. This is this is what I did on these cute little baby comets. I mean, it wasn't me, but it kind of was me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ice balls that we call comets suddenly make me think of spider eggs, and I remember the ending of a book I read as a child called Charlotte's Web. Oh, won't it be wonderful to be back home in the barn cellar again with the sheep and the geese, Charlotte? In Charlotte's Web, there was a motherly spider named Charlotte who we grow to love because she nurtures the self-esteem of the main character, a pig named Wilbur. She does this by saying nice things about Wilbur in the patterns of her webs. I will not be going back to the barn. Not going back? Spoiler alert. The motherly spider dies at the end of the book. But after she's gone, she's replaced by several baby spiders who hatch out of an egg she left behind. Charlotte, your children are safe. Charlotte, The promise of something new and the recognition of death's place in the cycle of life. I wonder what words of encouragement may be spelled out by the flight paths of these infant comets as they spiral around each other and then branch off into their own elliptical orbits. Terrific. Some pig. turns the seasons around and so she changes her gown. Mother Earth and Father Time. How very special are we for just a moment to be part of life's eternal rhyme. Vega, I want to thank you for coming on my show. This has been really wonderful. Anytime, Time Scanner. I hope to have you back on the show to talk more about the other studies you've done. Great! I have some killer stories about when the pirates and I slayed the psychotic Boltzmann brain of System Kepler 438b. Oh wow. Yeah, I can't wait. When did that happen? Mmm, six, maybe seven thousand years ago? I'll be in touch with your past self about that real soon. She'll be thrilled. I will soon previously have been thrilled about that. Thanks again. Until last time. Until last time, Time Scanner. And until next time, Time Agents, keep your temporal radios hidden from local civilians. They must not know about the temporal war. But also, keep the dial on your temporal radios tuned to this frequency. And I'll bring you more stories from this endless moment that stretches to everywhere and lasts forever. As you know, the infinite now never ends. We just go off the air between broadcasts. So long. This has been and will always be 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 the infinite now.
Transmission complete. This episode of The Infinite Now was written and produced by Richard Penner. The voice of Vega Bancroft was performed by Eva Giselle. The voice of the Time Crystal Interface was Esther Adair. Music was by Psychic Mold, Dr. Quandry, Alice Effect, and Matthew Schoendorf. Find more at psychicmold.bandcamp.com, drquandry.com, aliceeffect.bandcamp.com, and matthewschoendorf.com. Subscribe to The Infinite Now and leave reviews on iTunes. That will help people find us. We're also on Stitcher and most other places podcasts tend to be. You can follow Timescanner on Twitter at Timescanner. For more information, go to theinfinitenow.org. Your very own personalized fortune for tomorrow is this. Tomorrow will be partly cloudy. Slight chance of absolutely anything. Use that foreknowledge wisely, and thanks for listening.